I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Theology Unplugged. I'm Michael Patton. I am your host, and I'm going to be sole host in this broadcast today. Um, I felt like that uh, I needed to do a little side thing and, and talk about my friends behind their backs, and really, I, I just need to uh, get some stuff off my chest. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Good. Surprise! Hey, hey were you going to do this without us? Um, well, I, I did the intro without you, and then I spliced in once I decided to bring you all in. Well, in Theology Unplugged, in its essence, is four guys sitting around the table having a theological discussion. So it'd be kind of weird if you're here by yourself. I have done it by myself many times. Go back, yeah, and uh, go back to probably 2006, and I'm sitting in my office by myself having a conversation from my, with myself. Those were the best days. <laughs> you were always right. I was. Nobody I mean, I ever contradicted you. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, how you doing? Yeah. I'm doing well. I remember those days. Yeah. I did a couple of those back in about... 2006 You did. That's whenever you first came in. We kind of had you as a special guest at first, then you became a regular, then you did one by yourself, and I was like, what in the heck is up? And I didn't even know what you looked like then, and now I do, and I'm worse off. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a great face for radio. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Oh, we're on camera, too, I forgot. We are, that's right. uh, That's a new deal, Tim, and that's part of our membership, right? That's right. If you go to creedhouse.org, we have a members area where we have we, Michael and I teach every Tuesday night kind of a Bible college seminary type class. We're teaching through the Crusades right now. We'll start a series on world religions, and uh, we live stream that every week. But in addition to that, we put all the archives in our members area. And then we also, on um, all of our curriculum, Michael has a theology program that has been in over 3,000 churches. It's basically theological seminary for people who never go to seminary, and all that's in our members area, too. It's only 25 bucks a month, uh, but we also put the video edition of Theology Unplugged in our members area. It's so if it. you go to credos.org, look on the right where it says become a member, and we'd love to have you as a member. You also get a t-shirt, and you get a couple other DVD things just for signing up. And it's a great support to us folks. If you've ever thought about supporting us in any way, uh, getting a bunch of $25 members really helps uh, more than you think. Yeah, and it really is the foundation that's being laid for us to have more than one Credo House as well. Yeah, okay, well, good. Well, um, uh, last broadcast, after the broadcast, I got slapped around a little bit by Sam um, because uh, I had closed off the section on the Mass whenever I should not. I, I, I closed the Mass down. You prematurely ended the Mass. Yes, and I don't know what happens to the elements when that that occurs, and so we need to reopen this uh, this broadcast. I, about I have the mass. too many questions that I need answered. I know, and you just you just started going after it after the broadcast, and I thought I thought it was going to be both of you guys from Bridgeway against me, and I just said, fine, we'll do another broadcast. So I guess we're going to do another broadcast on the mass, but we do have some significant things that we need to bring up. I mean, you guys were right. Well, you just raised one, and you don't even know that you did. You said what happens to the elements after the mass is over. What does happen? That is a significant issue within Catholicism. Well, what happens to them after they go into your stomach and, you know? (laughs) Well, well, but let's, before that, I mean, that that has benefited the, the person receiving it. But so Sam said, you know, if you have body that's laying there, I mean, does it start to rot? Does the flesh start to rot? Uh, you know, what happens? Now, we do know that it doesn't 
it still maintains the accidents, the terminology. No, no, Tim, I have, of, a, I have a habit of cutting you off. Yeah, so and, do you want to cut me off? Pause now? just for a second, because okay. this, this one's only going to be for a second, okay? The, okay. Guys, we're talking about the Eucharist, the Mass, uh, where we're continuing our conversation about that. And last few broadcasts, we first started off with the history of it. Then we went into kind of the biblical arguments that Roman Catholics would use. But essentially what we're talking about here is, is the bread and the wine turning into the actual body and blood of Christ, which is an essential part of Roman Catholic theology and practice and individual spirituality. So we're not talking about some little sideshow thing here that we had to throw in about Roman Catholics and talk about. This is the central issue for many Roman Catholics. And so we we are Protestants here that uh, do not believe in trans substantiation, that the substance of the bread and the wine transform into the body and blood of Christ, although Sam and JJ both believe in a spiritual presence, uh, me and you would be more in line probably with Zwingli and believing in a memorialist type of, of view. But that's what we're talking about. Tim, pick that back up. I'm sorry. No, no, that's that's very good. And uh, the reason that we're discussing this, though, too, for sure, is, is trying to, uh, you know, we're not we're not just trying to throw rocks at Roman Catholics because uh, we have so much in common with them and uh, we love that they love Jesus as well. But in talking about transubstantiation, I mean, there are real discussions within Roman Catholicism too. And this is what you realize when you start reading uh, Council of Trent and start reading a lot of things, you realize that there are a lot of discussions inside Roman Catholicism trying to wrestle with some of these issues. And uh, one of them being what does happen. So I'm gonna hand the baton to Sam. Sam, give us, Kind of an update where are Roman Catholics at in figuring out what happens with this body and blood that hasn't been consumed in each church throughout the world? Yes, there are a lot of questions that we still have to address, that being one. Uh, the question also of uh, what actually is happening when the elements... He, he just put you off, too. Yeah, he's right. like a policy. He's, he's spinning. This is no, a no-spin no, zone, bro. I didn't put him off at no all. No-spin zone. <laughs> well, what actually happens when uh, the elements are, are offered up? Is there a propitiation of the wrath of the Father? And that's a big deal, right? It is. And uh, uh, there, there are un- there's an understanding that Protestants generally have that in the Mass... Roman Catholics believe that the sacrifice of Christ is being repeated over and over and over again. He's being re-crucified over and over and over again. And Catholics very loudly protest against that. But let me back up a little bit. First of all, here's an important question. When does this so-called miracle of transubstantiation occur? And there's been some dispute within the history of the church over that. And there is general consensus now that it happens at the time of what is called the epiclesis, which is simply the transliteration of a Greek word that means to call upon or to call down. And so when the priest who is officiating calls for the Holy Spirit to come down and to consecrate the elements and then pronounces the words, this is my body, supposedly when he utters the word is and calls the Spirit of God down upon the elements, that's when this miraculous transformation in the bread and the wine occurs, and they become the literal body and blood of Jesus. Hoc Uh, hoc es corpus meum, right? Hoc es corpus meum. Yes, this is my body. Don't try to correct my pronunciation. Just go with what I said. Well, you know, you know. I was looking smart, and then I looked dumb. (laughs) Well, that's all right. It's radio. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Um, we, we pronounce the S the same, right? Though? Yes, yes, that's <laughs> true. That's yes. the important word. 
here's another here's another issue of importance, and that is uh, within the history of the church, it has largely been practiced that uh, a Roman Catholic who comes to Mass will only receive the bread. They will not receive the cup. Now, you have a lot of situations and circumstances in churches in which they will serve the Eucharist in both elements. And in, but in many of them down through history, they've only served one. They've only given people the bread. And they argue that the whole of Christ, body and blood, is present in each of the elements. So you don't need both. You can just receive one. But the question is, why would they have withheld the cup from the laity? That's what they talk about. We withhold the cup from the laity. Only the priest is allowed to take of the, both the cup and the bread. And there were several reasons for that. One, as I just said, is they argued, well, you're not being, you're not being cut out. You're not being uh, undermined. You're still getting the whole Christ in each of the elements, so you don't need both. But then secondly, there was this fear of spilling the blood of Jesus. If they... Uh, served the cup to somebody, and what happens if it spills out, which is could very easily happen. And the idea of desecrating the literal blood of Jesus by it spilling out upon the ground was something that uh, concerned them greatly. And then thirdly, by withholding the cup from the laity and it only being allowed, uh, it, it being drunk by the priesthood, set up um, a a little bit of a wall of separation between the priesthood and the laity. It, it elevated the priesthood to a, to a, a, a level of spirituality and access uh, to the Father that the laity themselves did not have. But here was the interesting thing, um, and Roman Catholics don't particularly like this part of their history, but in the Middle Ages, there was a lot of um, rather bizarre practices related to people who, when they received the bread, would not swallow it. They would actually pretend as if they did, and then they would go back home. And we have documented resources to, to describe this, and they would then take the bread out of their mouth, which they believed was the literal body of Jesus. And here they're holding the body of the Son of God. And they would use it for a variety of purposes. I mean, there are stories where women would grind it up into a powder and put it in their husband's food, thinking that it would serve as an aphrodisiac. Mm. Uh, there were stories how they would use it as a fertilizer in their garden and their crops because, I mean, the body of God himself, God incarnate, is now uh, present. And they thought that it would somehow enhance the growth of their crops and their food. Yeah. Um, and so there were, there were bizarre stories about how people attempted to utilize uh, the residue of the bread that now is the literal body of Jesus. And even now, if, you, if you'll watch, uh, you can turn on EWTN, the Catholic um, uh, television station, and you can watch as the Eucharist is being observed, and you'll, you'll see a very elaborate, ornate, gold kind of house. It's almost like a treasure box in the form of a house in which not only are the elements kept before they are served to the people, but then anything that is left over. It's placed in there because it's being, you, you revere it. You still adore it. You still worship it because that is Jesus. That is the body and blood of the Son of God himself. So the whole notion that, that this miracle of transubstantiation has occurred leads to some rather interesting questions. As, as you asked him, what happens if the bread becomes molded? Uh, what if happens when the wine turns bad and becomes uh, uh, tastes and smells like vinegar? Um, you know, 
what what are the physiological and chemical dynamics involved in the fact that this was consecrated as the body and blood of Jesus? Now, Catholics have a way of accounting for that, and you mentioned the distinction they draw between the substance and the accidents. The essence of uh, of the elements is, in fact, the body and blood of Jesus, even though the external properties can continue to function as bread and wine normally would, and that doesn't affect it. But um, Meaning the smell, you put it under sure. a microscope, it still has the same cellular properties of bread or wine, and it doesn't turn into, from the standpoint of science, mm-hmm. into a, a different substance. Right. It's interesting, uh, we've talked about Martin Luther considerably in his, uh, his little treatise, The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. Uh, he talks about three ways in which the church has been held in captivity by Rome. And the first way was in withholding the cup from the laity, which really was only instituted in about the 13th century. But that was one of the things that Luther protested against. He said, you, you, have, you have withheld uh, the sacrament from uh, the people of God illegitimately. And that was one of the ways in which uh, one of the things that he protested loudly during the time of the Reformation. Um, one other thing that's interesting, the doctrine of transubstantiation wasn't official Roman Catholic dogma until the 13th century. I think most people don't realize that. It wasn't until, uh, what was it, the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 that it was officially recognized as Roman Catholic dogma, which is odd. I mean, if this is something that has been true from the beginning, uh, if, even from biblical times, why has it taken so long for it to be recognized and acknowledged as official dogma within the church. Yeah, I wonder if at that time there was some type of controversy because normally it doesn't become dogma, it just becomes doctrine until dogma, until uh, until some type of controversy arises with regard to that. But uh, but let, let's talk about this, uh, Sam, for a moment about the sacrifice and the, yes. the re-sacrifice. Uh, is do Protestants believe that at least it be because you, you of course you know we say well it's a resacrifice of Christ and they say no it's not and then you're kind of left at a stalemate there but Protestants believe that it amounts to that that's the only logical conclusion that you can come to with regard to Roman Catholic teaching on that and Catholics would respond how well maybe the best way and we want to be because I want to be fair to our Roman Catholic friends is that maybe we should just quote from the catechism and and let the words of the catechism account for this. So let me just give a couple of statements. Um, Here is one, quote, at the last supper on the night he was betrayed, our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. This he did in order to perpetuate, and let me emphasize that word, perpetuate. He did this in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages until he should come again. So there they would say he's not being sacrificed yet again. Rather, he's in a a miraculous way taking the original sacrifice on Calvary and it's being perpetuated in terms of its efficacy throughout the ages. Here's another statement. The holy sacrifice, because it makes present the one sacrifice of Christ, the Savior, and includes the church's offering. So there's the language of it's making present the one sacrifice. Here's another. When the church celebrates the Eucharist, she commemorates Christ's Passover, and it is made present. The sacrifice Christ offered once for all on the cross remains ever present. And then one last uh, statement or a couple more. The, the Eucharist is thus a sacrifice because it re-presents 
or makes present the sacrifice of the cross because it is its memorial and because it applies its fruit. And then lastly, quoting again the, the catechism, the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's, interesting, it's interesting language. I, well, I, well I, representing and perpetuating. And making present. Yeah. Those are both, all of those uh, are hard to say exactly what they mean. I mean, the, the funny thing sometimes I say about Roman Catholicism is that while it attempts to have a living authority that interprets the Bible, it's so hard to interpret that living authority sometimes. You know, who's going to do it? And so we're sitting here, and Sam's taking a stab at interpreting this living authority. And would you say at least from their standpoint in that language that it is a single sacrifice that is that is uh, made visible to us? Yeah, or maybe not made visible, although it is in, visible in a sense and in, in embodied in the elements. Is it made actual? Yeah, it's made applicable. It's made efficacious. It is the one sacrifice that occurred in historical time-space history on Calvary back in the first century, maybe around 33 AD, is brought into the present. Its saving efficacy is made real to the believer and to the, the one who's receiving these elements in 2013. But it's not the idea that's being perpetuated. It's the actual cross that's being perpetuated and the actual sacrifice that's being perpetuated. And it perpetuates the word then I say, it's happening in front of me. Okay, let me, can I offer an illustration that Sam might tear up, okay? Okay. So I'm going to offer an illustration to you. So the reason that we as Protestants are really wrestling with this is because Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And we are are thinking in our minds, okay, the sacrifice on the cross is finished— and it, that finished work of his sacrifice on the cross doesn't need to be done again. He paid for all the sin, past, present, and future of humankind on the cross, on the tree. And so we would say to Roman Catholics, why do you need to keep doing it if it's finished? Okay? But then their response is, yes, no, we agree it was finished. So here's my illustration. Okay? It's almost like the event on the cross is a DVD. Okay, the event on the cross is a DVD of the one time forever payment on the cross for the sins of humanity. And during the mass, it's as if they put that one DVD back in the DVD player and hit play again to remind us over and over and over again. So it's not a new sacrifice, they would respond, but they would say that it's the same old, it's it's the original one that we're just putting in the DVD player again and hitting play. Yeah, I don't I don't. That's like that my one. illustration. Do you like it, Sam? I'm gonna offer it to you as I think as, I think it's rather creative as what as what <laughs> they are suggesting is happening. Well, you shot down my made visible one, and that's all a DVD does. Come on, Sam, yeah. you show favoritism oh. here. Oh, no, 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 no I, I, I just I just deepened JJ, this illustration. I almost think you could invert it. As I'm looking at the catechism as well, and and trying to to. Uh, give a charitable reading to the catechism's portion. Now you got to try and mass. use my DVD illustration as uh, the foil to your comment. Maybe I would invert it. I would say that it, it, in their minds, perhaps it's God's gracious way of making us present to the one sacrifice. So it's almost as if we get to stand at the foot of the cross okay. and be present to to Christ's one-time atoning sacrifice on our behalf. Okay. And, so you and in that sense, it's it's God charitably sort of folding space and time so that we get to be. In, in an embodied way, experiencing Christ's Well, then at death. that point, it is a real sacrifice. It's not a DVD. Right? No, they say it is a real sacrifice. Yeah. And, and I, I like your illustration, Tim. I think it's a, it's a helpful way of trying to explore what they're 
trying to uh, teach, but let me let me question it a little bit because um, the, the 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 where the analogy breaks down is when you take that DVD and you put it in the uh, in the player the player whatever you call them technologically challenged yeah when you <laughs> put it in the so player so long ago what was that called a oh, player <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um you are what you are doing is simply you are looking at a recording of something that happened in the past but i think what the catholics are saying is is that what happened in the past is now being made real and in the present it's not as if we're just simply watching a video of what occurred in the past, but what occurred in the past is in a sense timeless and is, and is being offered up yet again. But here's the point. They would say it's the same sacrifice. It's not a new sacrifice. That's the key. It's not a new and different sacrifice in their theology. It's the same sacrifice, but yet it is still occurring in the present. Listen, okay, so, listen to so. the words of the Catechism. It, it, it says exactly what Sam said. In the Eucharist, Christ takes the very body which he gave up for us on the cross. In other words, in a moment in time, punctilier takes it, the very blood which he at one time poured out for the forgiveness of sins, and he presents it to us. So it's almost like a time machine would be a better metaphor. I'm going to take what happened in this moment in time, and it's now going to become present to you in your moment in time. Okay, I'm going to adjust my illustration here, and but I reject time machine. I like time machine. Well, no, so I'm going to reject it, and I'm going to say, instead, it's as if the ordained priest is saying, we are going to do a live satellite feed well, because time machine means uh, time, I might jump on that no, one. because time machine means that you go back to the past, but a live satellite feed means that we are once again going to see the actual resurrection or the actual death of Christ. So we're going to. Go, so okay, I'm offering okay. in without okay, without listen, being listen, a reverend. You misunderstood I, me. It's that the time machine comes to us because the once for all sacrifice. It says, "quote Once for all on the cross remains ever present." So in other words, it's presented to us from its moment in time. All right, all right, okay. Okay. Our Live time. simulcast time machine DVD. Sam, is this a re-sacrifice? Oh, l- 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 yes and no. No. In, in the thinking of many, if not most, contemporary Catholics, they would insist it is not. I would say they're going to have a very difficult time maintaining that position. It doesn't. See, here's the difference. The Roman Catholic says the Eucharist brings the past into the present. The Protestant says the Eucharist brings the present into the past. When I come before the elements of the Lord's table, I am looking at those elements, and I am fixing my mind back on what happened 2,000 years ago. I'm, that's, a, that's a sacrament that is designed to quicken in my mind the memory and my confidence and trust in what occurred 2,000 years ago. That's the DVD. The Catholic says, no, when you partake of those elements, what happened 2,000 years ago is brought into your present. The time machine. Okay. Is, is it a, well, that big of a deal, this part of it? Well, it is if, in fact, the person cannot... Let's say, what happens when you walk away from the Eucharist, when a Catholic walks away? Do they have confidence in light of what those elements either represent or or actually are, that they, because of that one singular historical sacrifice of Christ on the cross, have the full and final forgiveness of sins, period? Do they have that confidence when they walk away? And my my suggestion and my belief is no, they do not, because they believe they have to come back and yet 
take it again and again to cover the sins that have been have transpired in their life between the last time they had the Eucharist and this time that they're taking the Eucharist. The taking of it itself makes it efficacious, which in that sense makes the, it a re-sacrifice in a whole different way than just saying, hey, we're, we're showing you what Well, happened. it does c- certainly cause us to have suspicions about their use of the word finality hmm. and the finished work of Christ. Uh, I'm suspicious that it, it in fact, might entail a, a, a repetition, even though they insist that it doesn't. Sam, did we cover everything for the Eucharist? Except for the fact that they believe you can be offered up to get people out of Purgatory Center. We didn't talk about that, but that's another issue, but we'll have to let that one go. All right. Well, next week we'll pick it up and we will talk about uh, the uh, Apocrypha, the uh, uh, books that come between the Old Testament and the New Testament and are in the Roman Catholic Bible, but not in the Protestant Bible. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys, for being here. 